No, because my understanding is if your hand was full and you laid down a euchre, that was the goal. But I'd already bet away all my money. <laughs> oh, welcome back to River Heights Radio. I'm Carl Hauser. And I'm Hope Busby. We're excited today because we've got another travelogue for you with our <laughs> ox riding. Crossword puzzling. Forest bathing. Detective. Nancy Drew. Nancy's. First time stopping, I believe, a smuggling ring from smuggling drugs. A drug smuggling ring. Mm -hmm. And guys, if you think you know what drug they're smuggling, you are absolutely wrong. First main character of color. Who is in that category of girl that is almost as good as Nancy Drew. The party thrower of the book, I would call her. Yeah, we've had them before. Mm -hmm. The, uh, The orphan, the rich heiress, the clever college girl. Scottish lass in the Highlands. Right. The Disney princess of the book. <laughs> Head and shoulders over two books ago, but sincerely problematic as you would expect the Nancy Drew to be. Yeah, we've only experienced one previous pushback by Carolyn Keene against colonialism and imperialism. And that was in reference to the Spanish conquistadors. Carolyn Keene does not like the <laughs> She doesn't care for it. <laughs> now, is some of the history a bit whitewashed what we, what we end up with? Yes. Nevertheless, the invaders are painted as the bad guys. Which is okay when it's not the British. So we start out strong. This is what I want you to solve, Nancy. I call it My Monkey Mystery. Which again, would have been a more How is that title. not the title? Yeah. The Monkey Mystery. I sincerely hoped Nancy would be solving newspaper crosswords. Yeah, especially with how much Carson Drew collects newspapers. newspapers. Or that she would like go to a like, I don't know, a convention or a national contest for like crosswords the cat contest kind of thing like I thought that'd be really fun our heroine of the book other than Nancy Drew and of course Bess and George but let's be honest more like Nancy Drew than Bess and George Mm -hmm. is the beautiful Carla Ponce from Lima Peru she had large dark brown eyes shoulder length black hair and olive skin Oh, olive-skinned, mocha-skinned, caramel-skinned for people of color. And then you don't get that for the white characters, which I found interesting because then when it did describe Nancy right after this, it was like, Nancy was light-skinned. Fair-skinned. Fair-skinned. Nancy was a white person. (laughs) Well, Carla has a family heirloom, a round wooden plaque. On it is an outline of a monkey with part of his tail cut off. And several lines spread from one side of him to the edge of the plaque. Nancy asks, You think this design may be a clue to some great secret? Perhaps it's a treasure. Might as well be. That entire description of the shield is her describing the shield to the person who handed it to her. Shield. That's an interesting way to describe (laughs) it. Do Do they use that word? Oh, no, sorry. Plaque. But still, it's such a weird item. Like, you don't really think about... A round wooden plaque. Because it's got carvings on both sides. Where do you hang that? How do you display that? The plaque has been in Carla's family for 300 years. Carla explains this in her delightful Spanish-accented English. One of the problematic things that they do in general in this book to people of color is describe them as almost mythological. It's exoticism, 
right? Yeah. A little bit later when Carla invites Nancy back to Peru, she specifically, when listing the reasons to go, mentions we have lots of exotic foods and gifts. Uh-huh. Which is a crazy way to describe things that you live around. Well, says Carla, you haven't even seen the whole thing. You gotta look at the back, too. Mm, really paints a picture for you, doesn't it? I can't see it in my head, but... I, no, yeah, I have trouble imagining complex visual things sometimes, but the idea is that there's a grid and there's a spiral. A grid and a spiral. Oh, Carla, I'd love to work on your mystery, but I'm a little embarrassed even to try when others have worked on it for so many years. When have you ever been embarrassed to do that? Straight up lies. Yeah. Carla gave Nancy an affectionate squeeze. Carla points out someone may have found the treasure if one exists. I mean, listen, it'd be great, but 300 years is a long time for no one to discover treasure. Nancy replies, we'll have to take that chance. (laughs) Nancy invites Carla to dinner to bring the plaque, mostly because Nancy would like to look at it with... Her magnifying glass, which the book says helped her on many cases. We get a little background on Carla. She's living with her aunt and uncle while she's in America in River Heights. Going to secretarial school. She had just graduated. And in a few days, she's going back to Lima. Well, Mrs. Renshaw, her aunt says, of course Carla can go to dinner with you. However, somebody needs to bring her home. I'll come pick her up. Nancy insists she'll bring her home. Mrs. Renshaw says she had a bad scare one night. These River Heights streets are dangerous. Carla recently has been followed several times. You mean by a man, Nancy said? Or something less scary. (laughs) Cat, maybe? You mean by a wolf? (laughs) The statement she had a bad scare one night is a little bit of an understatement because she's been being stalked for a while. But I guess only yesterday, Carla received a very strange message. Clipped out of newspaper letters. (laughs) Pasted out. You always know that's going to be bad. We didn't even get a chance for Carson to double check if that was from the local paper or not. The message was, Cuidado con el gato. Carla explained. It means, Beware the cat. Some people just speak Spanish. I look it up. It does mean watch out for in the same way you say, like, beware of dog. Carla said, Yeah, my aunt and uncle have no cat, and there is not a bothersome one in the neighborhood. (laughs) Nancy looked off into space in what is becoming trademark for Mm -hmm. her. Having solved many mysteries, her thoughts immediately flew to the idea that El Gato was a person. (laughs) Beware of the person known as El Gato. So they're walking to Nancy's car. It's a gravel driveway. Carla is holding a 300-year-old family heirloom in her arms, unpackaged, and skids on the gravel. Now you might think, "Uh uh-oh, the plaque's about to get a little scratched. Everyone knows if you're falling, it's important to throw whatever you're holding. The momentum sent the ancient piece of wood sailing through the air and into the water some 12 feet below. So they live next to a ravine. Again, precious illustrations in this one. Mm. I love Nancy diving in to save the plaque. (laughs) My precious heirloom, Carla cried out. Nancy does not give a moment's thought. She dives into the river, swims for a fair ways, it sounds like, Mm -hmm. and retrieves the plaque. Yeah, I was specifically excited when they said that they lived over 
overlooking the Muskoga. I was like, our river's back. She's sopping wet. Carla says, let's get you some dry clothes. No, it's really close by to my house. We'll just go just home. leave the windows up in my car. I won't catch cold. It's a 15 minute drive. And in River Heights, that's a lot. That's longer than I would want to be wet in my car. Once home, Nancy gets into dry clothes, of course, but the next thing she does is retrieve her trusty old magnifying glass, which had served her so well in solving other mysteries. Again, so you say. Well, what Nancy discovers is the name of the ancestor who passed down this plaque, Aguilar. Yeah, when it comes to clues, the signature on the piece is a big one. This magnifying glass has revealed an etched signature that the naked eye could not. Not only is this an ancestor of Carla's, he was also a great artist. He disappeared from Lima and was never heard from again. Carla has heard of him. He's a big enough deal in the family history that she's like, oh, that's one of the big ones. I mean, yeah, he disappeared. Ended art. Well, Nancy says, um, I see something here. Um. (laughs) The center carvings are parts of words, Nancy deduced. They seem to be part of a crossword puzzle. How, How does a crossword puzzle work, in your opinion? There's clues to fill it out. Usually, yes. These are just words that are already there. It's a filled-in crossword puzzle. With no clues and legibility issues. Every time someone's like, oh, it says this, it's just because each person has progressively better eyesight, is able to decipher better these very short Spanish words. The first four letters down are mono. That is Spanish for monkey. Oh, monkey. The monkey mystery. Nancy and Carson are going Nancy and Carson are going to drive Carla home as promised. For safety. The house is going to be empty. Hannah is on a date. Had a date to attend a nearby movie theater with a friend. Hannah's on a date. I didn't know she was allowed to do that. Yeah, that's interesting. <laughs> with with uh, with Nancy not even in that show. Carla's beautiful big brown eyes light up. Nancy, I have an idea. Will you and your friends Bess and George come to South America with me? That way you'll have more time to look at my ancestors' stuff. How did you think Nancy was going to solve this mystery without going to South America? Right. But also, why are you inviting Bess and George? It's just known at this point. You can't get mm-hmm. Nancy to go without them. That's her entourage. That's her crew. Nancy looked inquiringly at her father. But before he could speak, Carla sweetened the deal. It gets better. Even if there were no mystery to solve, I would love to have you all visit me. Peru is a fascinating place. We have ancient Indian runes, Mm. Spanish palaces, exotic things to buy and eat. Carla's a whole tourist brochure. Yeah, I think not having a mystery doesn't sweeten the deal as much as you think it does, Carla. If there's no mystery, Nancy's not coming. As far as we know, the indigenous peoples of Peru are not from India. Right, that is one of the microaggressions we will repeatedly hear Incan people referred to as Indian. Mr. Drew looked at his daughter with amusement in his eyes. How could I refuse? After a quick chat with Carla's aunt and uncle, Carson Drew and Nancy return home. Nancy notices right away that the plaque (gasps) is gone from the dining room table. Oh, what fools we were to leave the plaque in the most burglarized home in all of River Heights. 
And I love it because they are notoriously bad at hiding their treasures. Yeah. So even if they had hit it, I feel like they probably hit it somewhere stupid. So Mr. Drew right away says, maybe Hannah put it away. No, Dad. Hannah left the house before us. They search everywhere. They're about to call the police. Hannah comes in just overjoyed from her wonderful date. It was a good movie, Nancy. Oh, you gotta it was see it. So good. Wait a second. What's wrong? You know how movies have intermissions? You know, those big long intermissions that give me enough time to get home. So Hannah spends the first half of this movie watching it halfway and the other half thinking, stupid Nancy, stupid Carson, I bet they didn't even hide that plaque. Yeah. Enough so that she goes home to do so. I'm sorry I upset you, she says, but she hid the plaque in the dining room buffet under placemats. As good as it is Hannah hid this artifact if the burglar wanted it i guess he would have watched her through the window right mr drew sat down in a chair bursting with laughter however the reason he gives for this laughter to me seems pretty patronizing hannah you're wiser and more sensible than either of us here i'm a lawyer and nancy has quite a reputation as an amateur detective and you're the only one who thought of hiding this valuable old object Hannah, do you see the irony? Do you see how ironic it is that you did the smart thing? A silly old maid like you? It's funny, right, Hannah? Because it's ironic. His laughter was so contagious that Nancy and Hannah joined in. Well, Hannah says, this calls for a little celebration. A midnight snack. How about chocolate frosted applesauce cake and glasses of milk? I spent a long time rereading it incorrectly and trying to figure out what chocolate frosted applesauce was because I just kept skipping cake. I don't know why. (laughs) I'm just like, what is that? The next morning, Nancy calls her good buddies, George and Bess, inviting them over to the house to discuss a potential trip to Peru. You're going to Peru, guys. George says she might be a little late. You know, this is the morning of her judo lesson. Yeah, I mean, that's going to be... We haven't seen judo in so long. Nancy laughed. Be sure to learn something that will be useful in our detective work. And she does. George chuckled. You mean like tossing a villain off a cliff? And that almost happens. You mean like me killing somebody? When the cousins arrive, we are reminded that Bess is a blonde with attractive dimples. She's slightly overweight, not just plump, and always being teased about it. And what was her motto again? I'll start dieting tomorrow. That's right. That's what good old Bess always says. (laughs) George says, hypers. And Bess says, I'll start dieting tomorrow. All we need to know about George really is that she's the antithesis of her cousin. And she likes sports. I love when they call George the antithesis to Bess and they just called Bess pretty. Rude. (laughs) Nancy was about to give George her trusty magnifying glass when their doorbell rings. Who is standing there but a detective? From the River Heights Police Department. Oh, the cops. What do they want? My name is Harry Wallace. I have a court order for the plaque which you have. He produced a piece of paper to confirm his statement, but did not hand it to her to read. Bess and George, overhearing the conversation, walked into the hall, and silly Bess just carries the plaque into the room. But I don't understand, said Nancy. Why would the police want this private property? Which, first of all, for a million reasons. Yeah, they're the police. Well, Harry Wallace shrugs. When I get an order, I just carry it out. This makes Nancy mighty suspicious. She did not like the man's looks. 
nor the abrupt manner in which he was demanding the plaque. Give it, give it. I'm a cop, so we gotta go. Looking him straight in the eye, she said, I'm not giving this to you without further proof. Please sit down while I telephone Chief McGinnis. Now, at this point, you think this guy might be a thief. And you're just like, yeah, go ahead and sit down in my household, good sir. Feet away from the plaque you are after. Wallace's eyes flashed. Young lady, he said angrily, you're entirely too fresh for your own good. You give me that plaque and no back talk. <laughs> the next instant, he grabbed it from Bess's arms and made a dash for the door. George, quick as a flash, stepped forward and with a neat flip, tossed him over her shoulder. He lay there in utter astonishment. And this is where Nancy's like, okay, that was good. But if he's a cop, that was very bad. <laughs> it's so impressive though. It is. But it's so funny because like, talk about ride or die. George is just like, hey, I don't care if you're a cop. You're getting flipped. Nancy helped Wallace up and escorted him to the front door. He went out meekly, saying nothing more about taking the plaque with him. Oh, uh, what? Uh, okay, what? <laughs> this man clearly underestimated this gang. He did not come with a weapon of any sort. No. Unlike the police. <laughs> George remarked, Well, there wasn't any cliff, but I hope you liked the way I tossed that villain out of our lives. Best looked scared. He may take revenge instead. Bess understands about escalation. Nancy immediately phones her friend, Police Chief McGinnis. They're friends now. Yeah, I imagine them having sleepovers and doing each other's hair. That man, as it turns out, is not a real cop. <laughs> Nancy gives a description of him. He is 30, dark complexioned, has close cut black hair, and is extremely thin. The extremely thin man. <laughs> yes. I, I expected him to be called the Thin Man after the Long Arm Man last book. Well, this is another instance, though, of our first criminal being wrapped up in River Heights, so we don't need to deal with him later. Yeah, he's not important. He's the River Heights connection. <laughs> yeah. Harry Wallace is a phony. He's not on the detective squad. Chief McGinnis even thanks George for using judo on the imposter. Thank you, Batman. You keep these city streets safe. Hypers, George cried rubbing her hands together gleefully. The first villain in this mystery. I wonder how many more we'll encounter. Buzz quickly spoke up. I hope he's the only one. I want to help solve the crossword cipher mystery, but I can get along without people like him. I just want to do a crossword, guys. I do think it's fair to say to your friends, I want to help but I don't want to die. Given that Harry Wallace has not been brought into custody yet, they decide they should leave unobtrusively, hiding out at a motel for a day. The one connected to the airport, which is always the best motel. But in the meantime, Ned Nickerson is coming over. Carson have any little teases about that? Not really, but Nancy behaves as if he did. Yeah, he's just like, well, Ned's coming over, and Nancy just blushes to a bright red. Ned was a special friend. So you're taking off again to solve another mystery. Can't you fix things so I could go along? <laughs> I wish I could. Now I have to depend on George and her judo to take care of troublemakers, not Ned and his tackling. Yeah. Nancy spends the entire evening with Ned. They couldn't go two books in a row without at least mentioning Ned. They gotta give him a date. Yeah. The, the man's gonna move on. 
As Ned bid her goodbye and looked straight at her, Nancy detected a wistful look in his eyes. He said, my thoughts are repetitions of your father's and Hannah's combined. Shakespeare, cool it off. He took both her hands in his and added, you will come back safely, won't you? He kissed her. That is hot and heavy for a Nancy Drew book. I promise, Nancy answered and waited until he drove off. Before forgetting about it and moving on to the mystery. Bess teased Nancy. I thought maybe you'd change your mind about going to Peru when Ned showed up. Would Nancy ever Did you think that? choose Ned I over don't think Peru? So. so at the motel, undercover, hiding out, they get a phone call to the room. Hey, this is the police. Are you Miss Drew? Chief McGinnis wants to talk to you. But Nancy is not to be fooled. She did not admit who she was, but merely said, please put him on. (laughs) Nancy disguises her voice cleverly. Once she recognizes the friendly voice of Chief McGinnis, she stops using a disguised voice. Nancy has been summoned to headquarters. Harry Wallace's eyes flashed. He claims he's never met Nancy Drew. Nancy tells Chief McGinnis that he tried to steal the plaque, but on purpose, she does not introduce Carla by name, hoping that perhaps the prisoner would give himself away by identifying her. Sly as fuck. Carl missed this vital information. Yeah, okay, so I didn't get what Nancy was doing. I would have also been tricked is basically what it comes down to. The man became sullen. I'm not going to talk. You have no right to hold me. I haven't done anything wrong. Again, Nancy spoke up. If you need any witnesses, Chief, I have two friends who were there at the time. At this, Harry Wallace seemed to change his mind. Oh, all right, he said. I didn't recognize Miss Drew at first. Oh, 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 <laughs> did I? Are you, okay, the question is, did I try to steal from her? Oh, yeah. No, yeah. Okay, yes. She looked different when I saw her. She had a hat on. Then you admit to trying to steal the plaque, Chief McGinnis asks. No, I don't. That plaque belongs to me. What? Carla cried out. It does not. So he goes on a rambling lie fest. It was his shield all along. It was stolen. He's traced the thief. To River Heights. To River Heights. Where he saw Carla Ponce. Wait a minute. Oh, there were faint smiles on the faces of Nancy and Chief McGinnis. The prisoner had indeed given himself away. But like, knowing that name does not necessarily mean, like if you were a detective and you tracked down a thief, you would be aware of the thief's name. Not unless you were a bad guy. Chief McGinnis says, I'm afraid, Mr. Wallace, that you have tripped yourself up with your story. Now suppose you tell the truth. The prisoner refused to say another word. Nancy whispers to Carla, is this the man who's been following you? Well, I think it could be. It's hard to say. Nancy tells the police chief in whispers about Elgato. McGinnis goes to his books on his bookshelf. Yeah, his big book of criminals. Nancy leans over his shoulder, they are friends, (laughs) and reads that there was a mysterious man in Peru who was known to the police there as Elgato. He is a wanted person. Boy, you must have had to have had so many books before the internet to keep track of every wanted person in every country. And how often do you think he gets updates on those books? Like new ones sent out. Cleverly, McGinnis says, things will go a lot easier with you if you tell us who Elgato is. Now that's a clever move. Startled, Henry Wallace 
jerked his shoulders uncomfortably and began to speak, then closed his lips tightly. The officer ordered the prisoner taken away, telling him he could have a lawyer of his own choosing or the court would get one for him. Wallace tells him, I'll let you know tomorrow. That was weird. What kind of power play is that? Carolyn Keene is like, I don't want to write about cop stuff anymore. Tell him we'll do it tomorrow. <laughs> Carla apologizes to Chief McGinnis for being such a bother, such trouble. I'm so sorry about getting so stalked all the time. Chief McGinnis gives her his best fatherly grin. We will probably end up thanking you for having the police of two continents looking for this mysterious Elgato. Elgato. George snorted, if Wallace is an importer, then I'll bet a cookie he's a smuggler. <laughs> the criminal version of importing is smuggling. So yeah, it, you know. Why do you think everything's so cheap here? Best gave an involuntary shudder. Already, everything's getting complicated. This time, on their layover, which they do have in New York, on their way to Peru... They, they... do see Aunt Eloise. Mm -hmm. Aunt Eloise is pretty much like, I've seen enough of you. Why don't you guys go learn about Peru before you go there? Get ye to the museums. I'm taking Carla to do some fun things in New York. <laughs> They all arrive back at Aunt Eloise's apartment at the same time. So they go up, they go in the door, and immediately they hear the phone ring. And unfortunately, their flight has been canceled. Oh, that's a shame. I get they'll just have to go back to River Heights. Nancy and her friends stared unbelievingly. Oh, this is dreadful news. The flight's canceled, you say? All the flights have been canceled, huh? All future flights to Peru canceled? There's no Peru? Okay, I'll let them know. This might be a hoax. Wait a minute. The weather's perfect. There's so many planes in the sky. I'm going to call the airline and find out what's going on. Of course, the flight has not been canceled. I think it would have been a lot more realistic if you telegraphed it to him. Those are the most believable form of communication. <laughs> we haven't had a telegraph in a while. It couldn't have been Wallace because he's in jail. He must have an accomplice. So Wallace isn't the gato. Once in Peru, Bess exclaimed, I can't believe I'm here and this far from home so soon. Bess, you've been all over the world. Were you just napping on the plane? Is that what this is about? <laughs> Carla's parents proved to be delightful people, of course. Mm -hmm. They have outside their home a gilded life-size statue of an alpaca. He's handsome, Bess murmured. Carla, who already knows her parents, is looking at the plaque with Nancy's magnifying glass. Oh, I think I have just figured out part of this mystery. One of the other words spells cola, which is Spanish for tail. Okay, so the crossword puzzle's coming together now that we've read two parts of it. Monkey tail. Monkey tail. Which is notable since this monkey has no tail. And if he did have a tail, it would be equally notable. Probably best suggested, for some reason, Senor Aguilar couldn't give the monkey a whole tail, so he carved the word tail. Mm -hmm, mm hmm Yeah, probably <laughs> at that time it was illegal to do monkey tails. <laughs> so you just put the word and just say, you figure the rest out. You mean, Carla asked, if we can figure out the significance of the tail, it will lead us to something valuable that our ancestor Aguilar hid or did. You are getting a lot out of the <laughs> word tail. I don't know if anyone meant that, but yeah, maybe. Nancy deduces the wood the plaque is made of may have some bearing on the mystery. Senor Ponce tells the girls the best person in Lima to ask is Senor Jorge Velez. 
he also knows that he would love some business. They all hop in Carla's sports car. She proved to be an excellent driver. They meet the delightful Senor Velez, but they also meet the undelightful Luis Yosa. He's about 30 years old, and you know about 30-year-olds. Don't trust anyone. Over about 30. He was surly looking, thin, dark, a bit stoop-shouldered, and had hairy arms. His eyes were shifty. Senor Velez identifies the wood as Arellanes wood. There is only one place this wood is found. It has become so rare that it's protected by the Peruvian government and it's illegal to take any of it. Unfortunately, this forest of trees is all the way in Argentina. Oh, Lord. What a trip. Secretly, Nancy had thought of going to the source of the wood, hoping to find a clue there to the mystery. Now the idea is vanished. As they're being told about Argentina, Nancy noticed Yosa had edged closer. (gasps) He had a notebook in his hand and was making a sketch of the plaque. Our second Lewis, because last book we had a Lewis too. Oh, so we did. Somehow, she did not trust this man. And when he reversed the plaque to the side with the cipher, she grabbed the ancient piece from him. I'm just drawing stuff. This is private property, she told him firmly. George, too, had noticed what the assistant was doing. With a lightning move, she reached across the counter, grabbed the notebook, and ripped out his drawing. Over the top, George. Both of them are being a little over the top. Like, they could have been like, why are you making a sketch of that? Or we'd, we'd rather you didn't. Oh, it's a beautiful artifact. Well, it's a intellectual property artifact. You do not like the cut of your jib, sir. Your jib sucks. Louis <laughs> Yosa glared at the girl, hatred in his eyes. There was silence. Awkward. Sometimes my assistant is over curious, he said apologetically. Nancy was embarrassed by the situation and quickly changed the subject. Do you export your products to the United States? Oh, yes. As they leave, Nancy says, By the way, do you girls feel like doing any more sightseeing? Best answered, if you mean am I tired, I'm not. The others were enthusiastic to see more of Lima. Bess is like, I guess I could. And everybody else is like, hex yeah. If your question is, will I die? No. (laughs) Nancy says, I'm sure you have museums here. I'm sure the country of Peru has at least two museums. Certainly not everything of historical import can be in our and the British museums. She would like to find monkey artifacts if possible. Well, says Carla, we do have a few pre-Columbian art museums. One of them is closed today. The other one might be closed. They go to the museum. It is open. Right away they spot a portly red-faced North American. Ugh. He's brandishing a cane to point out the various objects to the woman, apparently his wife. I can see the things. You don't have to point out everything. You might knock one of those ancient figures off the shelf. 
Well, enough, woman. I'll point to what I want to. Don't be so bossy. I know what I'm doing. <laughs> the woman was still advising her husband not to keep pointing with his cane. Nancy and her friends suppressed giggles. <laughs> Suddenly, Carla cried out, I see a monkey jug. But just as they are heading towards the monkey jug, the portly gentleman with his cane, just as his wife predicted, knocks the monkey jug from the shelf. Will their wonderful clue be smashed to bits on the museum floor? In a flash, Nancy leaped forward and caught the falling monkey jog. <laughs> Everyone breathed sighs of relief. What did I tell you, Charlie? His wife half screamed. That cane of yours will be the death of me. Now that's what I call monkey business. This couple has a fight so bad, finally the neglectful guard comes running to see what's up. Politely but firmly, he asked the couple to leave. Charlie suddenly looked subdued and followed his wife to the door. Nancy was still holding the monkey jug. The guard reminded her that the objects were not supposed to be removed from the shelves. Uh, excuse me, miss. Can you put our art back, please? <laughs> her friends remind him that Nancy actually rescued that jug. It's not a clue. It's just a monkey jug. <laughs> dinner, Senor Ponce asks, what is your next plan, Nancy? I know what I'd like to do, but it's impossible. <sighs> I mean, sure would be nice to visit Argentina, but I guess we won't do that. Nothing, <sighs> nothing is impossible, said her host with a smile. Secretly, Bess and George are kind of judging Nancy for, like, the audacity of suggesting something so far-fetched. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. <laughs> to their surprise, Nancy's request did not seem to upset Senor Ponce one bit. He happens to be going on a golf trip tomorrow to Argentina. To that very place! For free, they can fit four more people on this airplane. The resort will cover their expenses. Specifically, Senor Ponce, this is his, like, annual workplace golf retreat. Yeah, he doesn't get medical, but he does get this. Not only that, but the hotel is, in addition to being in Argentina, on the exact same lake the Aranyes Forest is on. It just couldn't be more convenient. It's a good place to golf. Father, said Carla, hugging him, you are a darling. <laughs> what? That's what girls up in River Heights say. Her father laughed and said, I think we Peruvians should adopt the phrase, I like it. <laughs> a darling, you say? Okay, well, fine. As Bess was preparing for bed, she remarked to George, There's been so much excitement since we left home, I feel as if I could burst. George grinned. Well, my dear fat cousin. Jesus. That might be one way to lose some weight. Imagine that's your good night from your cousin. Like, oh, I could just burst. Well, fatty, maybe you should. <laughs> the next morning, George wants to take a walk. Bess brings her camera along because as you know, Bess is a shutterbug. So much picture taking from Bess in this book. Immediately, Bess spots, even from the hotel room, an ox cart and just knows she has to get a photo of it. Photo opportunity! Bess approaches the ox to take its picture. Not content with just a regular picture of the ox, she convinces Nancy to get up upon the ox to have her picture taken. This is the idea of a boy who seems to be attending to the <laughs> ox. Now, right before they arrive, they see the boy talking to a man in a checkered jacket. And and the man looks shifty and immediately runs away when they approach. And they think, no problem. Still, they trust the boy when he suggests 
that Nancy get up on the ox. But, Bess says, the picture will be a wonderful souvenir of our trip. Nancy, it's a picture of you on an ox. What more do you want? Unfortunately, as soon as Nancy is on the ox, the, the boy slaps it with a stick. Mm-hmm. And it takes off. I like to think that Bess got an action shot. That would be good. Of the shock on Nancy's face. If I had that picture of me <laughs> sitting on a bull that's about to lose its shit, I would keep that picture. Fortunately or unfortunately, this ox is not actually attached to the ox cart. It's been unattached. At least that way it's not going to like accidentally flip its whole self and crush Nancy. Nancy clung tightly to its neck, yelling, Whoa! Whoa! At the top of her lungs. The international language of what you say to an ox. Whoa! <laughs> Best, though fearful, followed her cousin, who yelled, We'll run up this hill and cut them off. And I was like, what do you think you are accomplishing by getting in front of a heavy beast of burden? Well, there's a specific thing you're supposed to do. You widen your stance, you wave your arms around, and you say, don't hit me, please! The ox was, in fact, frightened by this gesture. Hold hands, sing kumbaya. And he stops short. Thanks, girls! says Nancy. Boy, what a ride! (laughs) Bareback ox riding isn't one of my favorite sports. But I'm glad I tried it. (laughs) Just then, the owner of the ox walks up and is pretty mad at the girls Yeah, he's like, what the heck? Can you not? I love that even their explanation when they're like, no, 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 it was so flaky. Like, no, there was a boy. Trust us. There was a boy. Well, the man believes them and says he might be from the caddy house. His name is Thomas Rivero. George was angry. I think we should go to that caddy house immediately and find out if the man we saw put Thomas up to that mean trick. The others agreed with George and they all set off to find the boy. He's already gone. I feel like if I uh, started a wild animal running away with a 18-year-old girl, I would also take the rest of the day off. When Nancy entered her hotel room, she noticed that the bottom drawer of her bureau was slightly open. She knows darn well she did not leave her bureau wide open. The young sleuth immediately became suspicious. She fairly leaped across the room and yanked the drawer open, and then gasped in dismay. (laughs) The plaque has been stolen. Even under all the placemats that she brought? (laughs) Carla has had enough. She flings herself onto the bed and begins to weep. Bess puts an arm around her and tries to comfort her. We're all terribly sorry, but I'd like to bet Nancy will find the plaque. Nancy says she's certainly going to try. The first thing I shall do is go down to the desk and report the theft to the manager. As she's reporting the theft to the manager, a woman is listening intently to the conversation. A certain Mrs. Smith has noticed that the plaque is in the gift shop of the hotel on the wall. For once, our listener is a helpful person rather than a spy. Apparently, the thief, who called himself Senor Manuel Sanchez, (laughs) brought it in and sold it to the gift shop. A customer showed up just then and ordered it, but said she would come back tomorrow for it. In the desire to solve this cipher before Nancy does, he copies it down, but then he doesn't want to get caught with it, so he sells it immediately. 
it was a brilliant plan. If that customer hadn't been like, I don't want to bother to go back to my room. Or if the gift shop had been like, hey, this has already been bought by a customer. Let's not hang it on the wall. Mm -hmm. Or if Mrs. Smith hadn't happened to see it on the wall, come out into the lobby and hear Nancy (laughs) squawking on about it. Like there were so many things that had to happen. Now, would he have been wise to go to the next hotel over and try to sell it at that gift shop? Yeah, but you can't beat the convenience of it's I mean, right it's on gift its shop way out right the door. Right here, yeah. yeah. You don't want to drop it outside and have it roll down the hill to the Peruvian version of the Muscogee River. They get a description of Manuel Sanchez. He has red hair and small features, and he's wearing a black and white checked sports jacket, (gasps) just like the man at the ox cart. The checked sports jacket. (laughs) It's both tacky and criminal. And identifiable. Mm -hmm. Like, that's one of the stupider outfits I've heard (laughs) one of the villains wearing. Oh, Gato's looking in the mirror going, I wish I had big ears or something, or a long neck or a big nose just something they could identify what about a checkered suit good news she cried out happily and presented the plaque to the tear-stained carla carla's still crying he must be an accomplice of lewis yosa and harry wallace when they go to take the boat to the Arayanes forest, Nancy decides to bring the plaque with her. Yeah. There's a double good here because it can't be stolen again, and she can show it to the guard at the forest. I was imagining like a museum guard. Like there's just someone walking around with a baton around the trees, (laughs) just being like, don't touch the trees. But it's more like a campground host, caretaker. The crowd on board the boat is jolly. The girls befriend an English couple. The husband was a camera bug, just like Bess. (laughs) And the two snapped picture after picture. Suddenly, in the middle of this jolly ride, the boat stops. Pilot comes in and says, Sin gasolina. We paid good money for this trip. Uh, the guy's so chill about it, too. He's just like, yep, yeah, no gas. He rattled off something in Spanish. Carla turned to the girls and translated. He said, who would like to swim to shore for help? But he was specifically joking. Yeah, like, you guys, we're out of gas and want to swim to shore for help. I'm just kidding. We'll just be stranded. Many of the passengers in the cabin of the launch began to laugh. It's an awkward situation. Others were angry that they were stranded in the middle of nowhere. And he's making light of it. Although Nancy said nothing, inside she was fuming with impatience. George was mumbling, we may miss an important clue to solving the mystery of the crossword cipher. (laughs) The Englishman is an engineer, as it turns out, and he thinks something other than a lack of fuel may be stopping them. And sure enough, the pilot kind of goes, okay, you can look at my fuel line. Listen, if you want to climb around (laughs) the boat to the engine. He discovers that a fuel line is clogged. Once he discovers a clogged fuel line, he's like, hey, boat operator, you want to clean this or what? And he's like, yeah, sure. Oh, yeah, I'll do it. As the boat starts moving again, the Spanish passengers yell, ole! And the English-speaking ones shout, yeah! (laughs) You say, ole. I say, yeah. Before going to the forest, they stop on Victoria Island, where they have a tasty lunch, which included huge slices of homemade bread. As Bess reached for her third piece, George grabbed her cousin's arm. No, you don't. Don't you fucking dare. 
meekly Bess put the slice of bread back into the basket and finished her salad. When they enter the forest, they notice a large round plaque nailed to a tree, kind of similar to the plaque they own. <gasps> but this one says, Trees are man's good friends. Do not wound them. It's nailed into the tree. How poetic, Bess murmured. And that's the poetry. That's the art that it's nailed into it. The irony? Is that what's beautiful Mm -hmm. there? The girls think that this is the most amazing woods they have ever seen. It's like a fairyland, said Nancy. There's a while that we're talking about how they're just so fascinated and so at peace. There's dappled light coming in through the leaves. The trees are satin smooth. A satyr plays a light tune in the in the background. Actually, Nancy says, these so-called trees are more like gigantic bushes. <laughs> Maybe they once were bushes for diplodocuses to feed on. And everyone's time is ruined. Diplo who? Best said. <laughs> The serenity is gone, and now we're talking about dinosaurs. Plant-eating dinosaurs, Nancy explained with a smile. George grins. She thinks it's just a funny picture to paint. But tell me, George asks, did they have those monsters in South America as well as North America? Now, I take this next statement to mean I don't know, but Nancy says, you can't prove anything by me. Yeah, what is that? Is that a saying? I think it just means, like, don't quote me. Ah, where were their dinosaurs? I don't fucking know. Soon they come upon a small attractive cabin where the guard hangs out and lives, apparently. the caretaker. He's a pleasant middle-aged man. He does not know anything about this plaque, but he says, you need to talk to an Inca Indian who lives in Cusco, Peru. He knows more stories and legends than pretty much anyone. I usually advise that you go to the old person who knows everything first. But how could they possibly make it all the way to Cusco? Could this Indian offer enough help to make a trip there worthwhile anyways? Uh, he's one old man. Yes, obviously he's gonna know everything. The guard says that even if Moponhi cannot help them on the mystery, they should certainly visit Cusco. After all, it's a place with rich history. There's a fort, it's near Machu Picchu. The girls receive a brief language lesson in how to say some simple phrases in Quechuan language. Matt Pony, in addition to speaking English, also speaks Quechuan, which is the most widely spoken pre-Columbian language family of the Americas, with an estimated 8 to 10 million speakers as of 2004. Approximately 25%, 7.7 million of Peruvians speak a Quechuan language. Many times in Quechuan languages, their language is called Runasimi. This is all according to Wikipedia. So, Hope, you researched to make sure that Carolyn King was on top of these translations, right? Yes, Romero Lagarde tells the girls how to say, hello, how are you? He tells them to say, Munanki, Imainan, Kashkianki. I googled this phrase and found nothing, but I think it's just because it's a little bit off and spelled wrong. <laughs> but what I found is it's more common when you want to say hello, how are you, to say Ayanshu, 
you can say imai nayan or you can say imai nayan kashanki which is similar i mm. suppose mm-hmm. The girls repeated the phrase several times, then Nancy asked how they should reply to it. Now, Romero tells them they should say, Hukla yusul paiki. However, what my sources online tell me is you should say, Sulpaiki, if you're being formal, or Anye, if you're being informal, and that means thank you. Mm-hmm. And then you should say, Aiyani, which means I'm well, or Unkuska kashani, which means I'm sick. I sure like the idea of any culture in which when someone says, Hi, how are you? You have the opportunity to say, I'm doing great. Or, I'm sick. Not good. I'm not really sure where Harriet Adams got her info. We never are. The visitors groaned. I'll never be able to learn that, Bess declared. What does it mean? Romero also teaches them how to say goodbye. It seems like Harriet Adams got closest on goodbye. Three ways to say goodbye in the Quechuan language, three common variations, are rutukama, bye, kutakama, goodbye, or see you later, tupanan chiskama, which is goodbye so long. So tupanan chiskama combined with huk kutakama, I guess is sort of like kutamunaki kama which means goodbye, according to Romero. While Nancy and Carla were trying to memorize the three phrases, George was just walking about noticing the decor of the cabin. We get a few interesting lessons and we move on. As they're walking out of the forest, George suddenly pointed ahead and shouted, look out everybody! Hurtling toward them was a large stone. They all listen to George and duck right away, but it hits a tree with a resounding thud, ricocheted, and struck Nancy on the back of the neck. Nancy is not knocked out. She teeters for a moment and then topples over. She admitted to feeling woozy, but declared she would be all right in a little while. (laughs) It's not a serious head trauma, but they could not find who, who threw that rock. Nancy cannot immediately get going. George decides she'll do a little sleuthing and try to figure out if the man is hiding somewhere nearby. She says to herself, I'll hide too. He may come out. She grinned. I'll use a little judo on him. She's just waiting for that cliff to be around. She does notice that two men were pulling out of a small cove in a motorboat. Though their backs were turned, she instantly guessed that one of them was Manuel Sanchez, as he had red hair and wore a black and white checked sports jacket. Again, really the sports jacket is all you need to identify this gentleman. I'll bet I did pick up a clue after all, George thought. I enjoyed this little bit of getting to see George by herself. Yeah. For once, and kind of see her thought processes. It's kind of adorable. George always has this semi-competitive way of looking at everything. It's not just that she wants to help, it's that, oh, I bet I can get a clue too. Almost a little bit mischievous, like seeing what she can get away with. That's true. Bess, meanwhile, is bemoaning the fact that that man was determined to injure Nancy. (laughs) Oh, why don't the police catch him? I'm sure they will, Nancy said quietly. (laughs) Or my name's not Nancy Drew. Nancy is doing so poorly that even though they do make it to the boat, when they get back in town, they decide to book a separate motel than the one they're staying at that's closer to let Nancy recover. They have tea. Carla calls the police. Nancy takes a nap. She's completely recovered. But 
That evening, back at their original hotel, Nancy does decline to go to dinner. She says, I'm going to eat up in my room and then go immediately to bed. George grinned. That's the most sensible thing I've heard you say in a long time. In one of the rare times they see Senor Ponce on this trip, <laughs> they do find him in the dining hall and talk to him briefly before going to their own table and being told, well, I'll see you at the end of this trip. Yeah, well... This has been fun. They hesitate to tell him what happened to Nancy, even though he asks, where's Nancy? Finally, George speaks up, not really answering, I feel like, because she says, Nancy doesn't give up easily, but she confessed to being very tired. <laughs> so they don't mention the neck injury, I suppose? Anyways, dinner is a smorgasbord. Mm. Carla, seeing the overwhelming food display, says, If I take even one little tidbit of each of these delicious things, I will never eat any more dinner. Bess took that as a challenge. Carla and George did not fill their plates, but Bess took three kinds of fish. Three kinds of fish. Chicken salad. Mmm, chicken salad. Vegetable salad. Vegetable salad. And half a melon. And half of a melon? The others teased her, but she ignored them. Then she goes back for a large dish of cream soup. Mmm, a large dish of creamy soup. Roast beef. Roast beef. Potatoes and vegetable. Potatoes and vegetable. As well as dessert. A rich cake topped with ice cream. I hope you said this is the first time it feels like Bess did actually eat more than I might want to. Absolutely. Despite how they always make it out that because she had one more soda or an extra cherry on top of her sundae, or she was hungry at the same exact time that the whole group was, but nobody said it, mm -hmm. that somehow she is just really into food. This is the first time we've seen, okay, she had more on her plate than the other two girls. <laughs> she went back for seconds. And honestly, I'm not going to say I've never eaten this much food. We don't know her portion. Mm -hmm. But this is me if I pigged out at Golden Corral. <laughs> like, my absolute top five most stuffed I've been in my life might have compared to this. I think what gets me the most is it's either three different kinds of fish. Mm -hmm. That's weird. Yeah. It's weird that you're like, oh, I want to try the tilapia, but I'll have to try the cod. Ooh, and they've got, ca like, what? <laughs> what do you mean half a melon? Yeah. Yeah, how big is this melon? Is that how they're serving them? <laughs> she does literally have two different meals of the book yeah. in a row. Like, yeah. that's what happens. George, sick of dealing with Bess's late night farts. Oh my god. Looks at her cousin disapprovingly and says, If you have a tummy ache tonight, enjoy it by yourself. George, I have a tummy ache. Can you rub my tummy? <laughs> it's so sad because Bess was silent. I just imagine her there wallowing in shame. And I don't know if it's worse that they don't tell us. Bess looked dejected. But the usual thing would be like she stuck her tongue out at George. Even not having her do anything defiant makes this just super sad to me. The girls wander about the hotel. Carla is quiet for a while, but then she shares an idea. 
her plan is to go undercover as a Spanish dancer, go to the casino that exists under the hotel, the very large casino under the hotel. If you thought it was risque that there were drugs being smuggled in this book, (laughs) there's a casino. She's going to fix herself up to look like an entertainer, read prostitute probably. I mean, right? And try to locate Manuel Sanchez by asking around for him. Bess remarked that the scheme sounded very risky, but George was inclined to think that it might work. George pretty much sits out the whole thing as she decides that it should be Bess's turn first and then George will take over like it's Nightwatch or something. (laughs) Carla reminds Bess, pretend you never saw me before. (laughs) Carla emerges from the powder room absolutely dolled up and Bess could not help gasping in amazement. What a transformation, she thought. She used to be beautiful, but now she's super hot. Utterly bewitching. And Bess is feeling it. I've never gotten the vibe from Bess personally that she might not be straight, but I think that she might be bi. Something tells me that when Carla dolls up, no one's straight around her. It sounds like it. It sounds like it. We've never seen so many people into any other character other than Nancy Drew. Carla's eyebrows had been heavily darkened. She had attached long, curling black lashes, which gave her a flirtatious look. Ooh. Oh, oh, Bess thought. I'd really better keep an eye on Carla, or this Spanish beauty will be kidnapped by some dashing cavalier. Oh, I love her. Bess turned and followed at what she considered an unobtrusive distance. Right behind. (laughs) Everyone stopped to look at Carla in the casino, and she received many invitations to come and play the games. Thank you. No, I am looking for Senor Manuel Sanchez. Have you seen him? Finally, a dark-haired man who extended the same invitation to play games and received the same reply said, Ole! My friend Sanchez did not tell me he had a date. Ole, indeed. My friend Sanchez could not come tonight. He hurt his arm this afternoon. And if he hurt it, throwing a goddamn rock. <laughs> yeah, Bess's heart began to pound as she assumes he injured himself throwing the rock at Nancy. <laughs> if you wish, I will take you to Sanchez and his sister. Now, given that you know this man has no intention of bringing her to Sanchez, Mm -hmm. or if he does, it's with ill intent, one thinks that the addition of the sister is a double usage to make Sanchez seem safer and also make sure that Carla doesn't think she'll be alone with a man. Bess was suspicious of the man. On the other hand, he might not be involved in Sanchez's crooked schemes. She hoped Carla would not accept. To her dismay, the Peruvian girl said she would be happy to go along. Ow! Bess was extremely worried, as I think every reader probably is. Mm-hmm. She followed along the path as closely as she dared, wishing George were with her. Carla follows this man to a motorboat, where... She finally refuses to board the boat. Get in that boat. The dark-haired man said firmly, You are no friend of Sanchez, but I am going to find out who you are. 
As Carla struggled to free herself, Bess screamed loudly and ran forward. I love that. Good good call, Bess. Good good choice. Bess is becoming a total badass. She has been instrumental in so many of the recent books. Hearing Bess scream, the dark-haired man let go of Carla and jumped into the motorboat. They can't see who's piloting the motorboat, but it speeds away. Bess asks if Carla is hurt. Her arm was pinched pretty hard, but she's all right. (laughs) When a crowd of people comes running to see what the scream was all about, Bess tried to explain in English and Carla in Spanish about what happened. One young man is eager to get into these hot ladies good graces and suggests that he will chase down these ne'er-do-wells. Bess says, it's hopeless. <laughs> Bess on a hunch asks the crowd, hey, did you happen to ever see a man around the hotel who had red hair and wore a black and white checked sports coat? <laughs> that same man had been met on the grounds of the hotel by a man who lived in Bariloche, Frederick Wagner. He owns a motorboat. He might be the one piloting the red-haired man around. You know, it's always great when everyone in the organization brings something special. Yeah. For instance, owns a motorboat. You gotta have a getaway driver. One, That's an important part. One owns a motorboat is a good part of any crew. Any drug smuggling ring. When they go back to the hotel room, they find Nancy awake and George talking to her. This is too good a lead not to follow up, Nancy said. She spoke to Senor Diaz, who promised to pass along the information information to the authorities at once. Miss Drew, you are a fast-working detective, the police praise Nancy, who laughs. I have some excellent assistants. I think more like your Carla's assistant at this point. How dare you. <laughs> the police have two men in custody. One is Frederick Wagner, and the other refuses to give his name, but we think it is Manuel Sanchez. Now, Manuel Sanchez, they have enough to hold him on. Mm-hmm. But Frederick Wagner is just a guy who owns a boat. That can't be legal. Unless you wish to file a complaint against this man, we cannot hold him. Um, he seems suspicious and that is my complaint. Luckily, at that moment, a policeman walked into the room and spoke to his superior. Oh, thank God. Chief Castro says after that, A quantity of Arroyanes wood has been found in your home. Senor Wagner, you know it is scarce and against the law to remove any from the forest. Wagner murmured, I didn't get the wood from there. I got it somewhere else. Uh, uh, from a friend. You, you wouldn't know him. They live in Canada. But they later find out he did get it from the forest. Yeah. Only he owns illegal wood. We will hold you until you talk, the chief says. Nancy laughed. The more complicated the mystery is, the more fun it is to solve. Of course, Senor Ponce won the trophy. Good. I was, wor- I, you know what? I've been really preoccupied with that golf tournament, and I'm glad we have that settled. Once they're on the airplane, Nancy sits for a long time mulling over various angles of the mysteries. Everybody else is reading, but presently Nancy became restless and decided to walk forward for a little exercise. She reaches the passenger loading door, located just behind the cruise compartment, and she pauses and stood gazing with interest at the pilot and (laughs) co-pilot. Now begins one of the most harrowing, dangerous plane rides Nancy has been on, and she's been on some dangerous plane rides. Oh my god, this was crazy. Suddenly, without warning, the door near Nancy began to open. It just pops open! She felt herself 
being sucked out of the plane. I thought Nancy was going to like have to do a parachute thing. Like she was <laughs> she's being sucked out. Nancy made a wild grab for the luggage harness and clung tightly. The illustration of Nancy desperately holding on. Like you'd imagine she's got like her feet in the air, but it's more that she's kind of just standing there with like one hand holding her. But it seemed as if she did not have strength enough against this terrific wind to grasp it very long. She froze in terror. All were horrified when they saw Nancy's predicament. Senor Ponce and a companion jumped up and grabbed Nancy, but they in turn felt themselves being pulled toward the opening. Two men rushed forward and helped to pull all three to safety. Nancy dropped into an empty seat. She began to feel very dizzy. Mm -hmm. By this time, the crew had been alerted. The co-pilot leaped out of his seat and started back to see about closing the door. But at that moment, it ripped off. A loud thump resounded from the rear of the fuselage, and the plane shuddered violently. It must have struck the stabilizer, the captain concluded. We have tail damage, but we still have some control left. The pilot ordered his passengers to don their oxygen masks and fasten their seatbelts immediately. They quickly obeyed. After Nancy had taken several whiffs of oxygen, the dizziness left her and she was able to breathe normally. Now a new worry took hold of the passengers. The plane began to yaw. Everyone sat tense and nervous. In as steady a voice as he could muster, the pilot said, I will try to make it to Lima. Not super reassuring. I'm going to try to make it to Lima. Nancy glanced at the open doorway and closed her eyes. This is like some of the most worried we've seen Nancy ever. She felt ill, still shocked from her narrow escape. She realized that everyone in the plane was in grave danger, and she never took her eyes from the pilot. He's marvelous, she thought, as he managed to hold the swaying craft on course. A pinnacle of a man. Eventually, he lowers the plane enough that they can remove their oxygen masks. As he tries to land the plane, the yawing becomes increasingly worse. But he does manage to land the plane. Everyone claps. Nancy was sure that the door had been tampered with, and she felt personally responsible. One of the few times you see her give a care that her sleuthing is endangering others. And she was personally attacked is what she was. I'm the one who's trying to solve a mystery, which several other persons definitely don't want me to solve. <laughs> if I hadn't taken this case, the near accident probably would have been avoided. But I mustn't think about this anymore. We're safe, and I should be thankful for that. <laughs> they all praised the pilot. The young man brushed it off with a shy smile. It's only my job. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Nancy, to think we almost lost you. Tears filled Bess's eyes. George and Carla hugged Nancy. They said little, but their expressions revealed what was in their hearts. Of all the books, we've never had that moment after the danger where they just processed what Yeah, or they happened. even, I mean, they almost got hit by a meteor one time. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and no one took a beat. It was not until they were halfway back to the Ponce's house that Nancy finally spoke. I'm sure it was my enemies who damaged the plane. They will go to any lengths to keep me from solving the mystery of the plaque. 
put Nancy Bess said, how could they be sure that you would be standing by the door just when it came off? They probably figured there was a chance the plane would be wrecked, Nancy shuddered. Absolutely best. Like, obviously their plan wasn't to suck Nancy out of the plane. Their plan was for the whole plane to experience at least turbulence and perhaps crash. Bess remarked, this was the most exciting Sunday I've ever had. Nancy, Bess, and George went to their rooms to rest until dinner time. This is the most exciting Sunday I've ever had. Well, I'm going to my room. As they were dressing for dinner, Bess remarked, Nancy, I'm afraid you have not one or two enemies in this case, but many. We know of three. George spoke up. They aren't Nancy's private enemies. They're hostile to all of us. I'm hated too, okay? I'm the one who saw them get away on the motorboat. Nancy learned that dinner was not ready. She asked Carla if she had any modeling clay. Yes, at this point, she finally does like a molding of the sketch that is etched on this plaque, which was pretty clever. And it leads to her figuring out something. One of the other words is Mesa. Mesa. Now they have to just narrow down which Peruvian Mesa it could have been referring to. And there are many. A monkey with a tail and a Mesa. The tableland referred to here could be the one at Machu Picchu. That is near Cusco, Carla said excitedly. <gasps> Father, we were advised to go to Cusco and talk to Maponi. Bess spoke up. Would the trip to Cusco and Machu Picchu cost very much? I'm running a little low on funds. <laughs> I'm used to these trips being free. But hey, Senor Ponce, uh, running a little low on funds here. Senor Ponce thinks they should go. Nancy said it once. Your offer is very generous, Senor Ponce, but we shouldn't be such an expense to you. <laughs> Senor Ponce says, now listen, do you know what the Quechua Indians say to me? Conquijapak. His eyes still twinkling, he translated, It means you are rich. Mm -hmm. Everyone laughed, and George said, I'm glad to hear that. Since that is true, I accept your invitation, <laughs> Senor Ponce. And they proceed to treat him as if he is in fact rich the rest of the book. Now, he does seem rich. Before he even says that, he has a golden llama outside his door, and he's going on corporate vacations to resorts yeah golf resorts he's doing well however if someone jokes about how some people call them rich i wouldn't immediately assume they are wealthy oh i hand him my amazon wish list <laughs> if you say you're rich around me give me money now <laughs> money me money please well it's time for some more sightseeing Oh, yay! As they're wandering around, across the street, a man stood there, his hat pulled low. A man? He looks like Louis Yosa! Quietly, she alerted the other girls. I don't know what kind of sightseeing this is, but if I ever go to Peru, I'm not planning on seeing Louis Yosa myself. One of the highlights of this trip is Bess sees a stagecoach. Mm -hmm. At which point she pretends to be the Queen of Spain. Hasten to the party, coachman, with my king and me. Nancy laughed. Wait a minute, your majesty. How about a photograph? Bess handed over her camera and said loftily, I ought not to have my picture taken with a lowly coachman. <laughs> then as she giggled and George snorted, Nancy snapped the shutter. 
I think that's a good photo. Oh, that's a profile picture. In another building, Nancy looks out the window and sees Louis Yosa. He has come back, Carla whispered. To spy on us, I'll bet, Bess added worriedly. El Gato returns. The others agreed. We can't stay here all day, George declared. I'm going to scare him off. She opened one of the shutters and leaned out to look directly at Louis Yosa. He at once became ill at ease and quickly moved off. Let's go, Bess urged. All right, said Nancy. <laughs> but Nancy wants to stop at Senor Velez's shop and check on Yosa. Well, apparently, Yosa has gone no-call, no-show for several days now. <gasps> I always knew he was evil. Senor Velez says maybe he's sick. Carla says, oh, he's not sick. We just saw him. Sick in the head. Sometimes when you're sick, you still have to go out for, like, cough lozenges and stuff like that. No, I just had my girlfriend do that for me. <laughs> Nancy suspected that the man had taken the day off to shadow the girls. Senor Velez spoke again. Lewis is a good worker, but he is very strange and secretive. Why are you asking about him? Has he done something wrong? Not that we know of, Nancy replied. But we're working on it. <laughs> Nancy purchased an attractive salad bowl set for her father and jewel cases for Hannah Gruen and Aunt Eloise. I'd say a jewel case is a step up from a musical coffee pot. Yeah, it was a nice jewel case, absolutely. Nancy decides to inspect Louis Yosa's workbench. She notices another unfinished carving on the floor. And she also finds a strange object. It is eight inches long and three quarters of an inch thick with a tube inside the center of it. What could this possibly be? Well, says Velez, this is about the size and shape of handles of some of our salad forks and spoons. <gasps> but we always keep them solid. Does Nancy also finds some wood under his bench that Velez identifies as Arrayanes. <sighs> what? Nancy exclaimed. Illegal wood. I cannot understand. Lewis must have brought it here. I intend to ask him when he returns. <laughs> Nancy's mind goes directly to the idea that he probably probably smuggled something in the handle of that salad fork. Uh, you know what? I check all my salad forks. Perhaps, Senor Velez conceded. But what? I will certainly make him tell me. Tell me about your fork. So we have the party of the book, but unfortunately, for once, they don't tell us what happened. And I miss it. Carla had arranged a delightful party for the North American girls to meet some of her Peruvian friends. It was wonderful, and I enjoyed getting to know your friends, Nancy told Carla after the guests had left. <laughs> How fast do we move past that? Where's the boy dancing with Nancy? Where's the uh, criminals lousing about, you know? Where's the local culture? Yeah! And what marvelous dancers, Bess exclaimed. Oh, I could live here forever. <laughs> and have Dave down here fighting duels, George grinned. It's the first time somebody else has been teased other than Nancy for her, like, side hustle. Well, I mean, we haven't gotten there yet, but Bess is pulling hard here in Peru. We got a few boys who are going to end up interested in this girl before the end of the book. Bess is again boy crazy. I think boys are best crazy. The next day, Luis Yosa still has not shown up to his job. Starting to think he's up to no good. Nancy finally asks the shop owner if anything's been stolen from him recently. Right. 
Well... He goes and checks and within two minutes is able to determine that many of his tools are missing. And some of them are even very old and cannot be replaced. What's missing? Well, a bunch of my tools. Is that what you mean? I am sorry, Nancy said. You will report the theft to the police. (laughs) Indeed, indeed. And thank you, Miss Drew, for alerting me. Nancy points out that the police had found lots of that wood in Wagner's home. I feel sure he has been supplying Yosa with it. But to what end? Mm -hmm. George says they're part of the same gang. The cat gang. Carla's mother is mortified that their old family mystery is causing such a furor. (laughs) Her husband smiled. My dear, he said, aren't you pleased that these evildoers are being apprehended? Can you imagine if your daughter... Got some, like, family heirloom out, right? It's a painting or a statue. And she's like, oh, I'm going to ask my dear friend, Nancy Drew. She's a teenage research detective, and I'm going to ask her what this means. And you're like, okay, hun. And then, like, within a week, she's like, so we're mixed up with the drug cartel. Well, Senora Ponce wishes the girls could have more fun and less worry. That's the fun, though, says George. They're all off to Cusco. Imagine living in the mountains 12,000 feet above sea level, said Bess. And yes, much is made about, what is it called? Heightness, sickness, Mm, altitude sickness, sickness. the air being thinner, Mm. the girls having to be careful about running or exerting themselves. I have a hard time every time I go to the Rocky Mountains. Like every time I go to Denver. I have a hard time going upstairs. Uh, When I traveled up to Pikes Peak, they had like oxygen bars and stuff like that. It's at least twice as high. Of a city, Cusco, than Denver. Oh yeah, sure. They go to visit Moponi. Carla smiled. Indians who live here today are quite modern. Many of them have transistor radios and are no longer isolated from the rest of the world. Wow. You know, uh, the world really opened up for all of us once we got our transistor radios. Nancy knocked on the door and it was opened by a pleasant looking man. Definitely a descendant of the Incas. He was of medium height, somewhat portly, and had large hands with small wrists. What do you guys want? I was just surfing the transistor radio. His head was broad, and he had high cheekbones and an aquiline nose. The man's eyes were somewhat almond-shaped, like in Orientals. And his expression kindly and humorous. He's stunned when they greet him in his own language and invites them in. He's examining the plaque when suddenly everyone noticed that all the objects in the room were shaking. What's happening, Buzz asked, looking around fearfully. Carla's face was pale. An earthquake, she gasped. I cannot believe that in this, in 30-something books, this is our first earthquake. Mm-hmm. Luckily, they're safe in Mumponi's stable kitchen. They come out of his house... To find a boy just rocking on the pavement. Nancy kindly says, you're safe now. He's like earthquake shell-shocked and he's just going, the the girl, following the the, the girl, cat, earthquake, uh, monkey no tail, uh, clue of a thousand steps, or just whatever. Just stuff that lets you know he's in on it. That's a lot of gibberish, George remarked. What does he mean? (laughs) What could that mean? The boy runs off. Uh, He's basically muttering about 
maybe the gods told him not to oh, yeah, follow the, Nancy. Yeah, the earthquake. Mm. If I ever get a job and there's an earthquake, I'm like, I should quit. God said so. George suggests that they all run after the boy. Nancy is eager. But Mamponi grabs her arm and says, no, that boy has done no harm and you should not run in this atmosphere. Mamponi's the first person who has ever said to Nancy Drew being just suspicious of someone, no, they didn't do anything to you. But he may be connected with our mystery, Carla said. He mentioned Cat. Oh, good enough then. He's immediately convinced. I'm sorry I stopped you. Now it is too late to find the boy. Oopsie doopsie. Well, says Momponhi, when I was a little boy, I heard my great-grandmother tell a story which had been handed down in her family. It might concern your ancestor, Senor Ponce. The story was about a fine Spanish artist adventurer who came first to Cusco and then went to Machu Picchu. He was well-received and enjoyed his work, but after a while they made him a prisoner. We did not hear why. But he did escape with an Indian companion, and they made their way here to Cusco. An Incan priest had helped him escape, and on his deathbed, he confessed to having helped the runaways. So they go to visit the fort. They're admiring it, and a car happens to drive in. He disappears behind the wall, carrying something under his jacket. It looks like a big can. Nancy says. That guy's got a can of whoop-ass with him. Nevertheless, they figured that's not suspicious, or not suspicious enough to stop our adventure. And if this isn't American ancestors at an ancient fort, I don't know who is, they decide to climb it. You gotta climb it. They do have some interesting stuff in there about how the rocks were moved. I always enjoy little things about, <laughs> well, ancient architecture. Mm-hmm. Hey, I'm the architecture guy. Yep. Uh, and they talk about how like piles of dirt were used to uh, move the rocks. I found that interesting. Nancy has climbed 20 feet off the ground when she looks up and sees a man's leg disappearing around the bend. You're just waving it at her. On a large rock above her was the newly painted, crude face of a bright red cat. Another really rich illustration. Elgato Rojo. Maybe that man who painted it was Elgato himself, leaving his insignia, Nancy thought. If anyone thinks this is like one of those spray-painted insignias, no, 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 no. Elgato paints his face in just red, sloppy paint. I wish I could see him, she fumed. She saw an arm poke itself around the corner. Nancy was puzzled. Is the man going to add to his picture? With great force, the hidden figure suddenly threw the bucket of red paint directly towards her. She's either going to get hit by this heavy can of paint, or she's going to jump to the ground, which is 20 feet away. I can guess which. She tries to get the soft grass. She lands painfully. I think they describe it as like... Bone clattering. She took it gracefully, but landed with bone-jarring impact. There it is. And sat down breathless. (laughs) Oh! She said aloud, hurting all over. Meanwhile, he jumps into the car, and the car speeds off. In a weak voice, Nancy assured everyone she would be alright in a few minutes. Bess thinks to snap a picture of the cat. I thought pretty cleverly. I would have snapped a picture also of Nancy sitting there in pain. Mapony decides to ask in the stores in town if a man was in buying red paint. Perfect. They decide to postpone their trip to Machu Picchu until tomorrow. Enough adventure for one day. 
Carla says they should stay in a hotel, but swear the hotel clerks to secrecy. In this particular hotel, if you're feeling breathless, you just ring for a bellhop and they'll bring you a bottle of oxygen. Yeah, a few old whiffs of the oxygen. Bess immediately does what you should apparently never do, closes all the windows, and turns on the heater. Anyone else want a hot box? George, meanwhile, is reading the rules on the wall. I'll just have to freeze, says Bess. What a martyr. There's more than that, Bess. You have to eat... Light meals. Light meals. Bess made a face. Mapony did find the place in town where the red paint was sold. Would this description fit anybody you know? Dark hair, small shifty eyes, and very hairy arms. Together, Nancy and Carla cried out, El Gato! Luis Yosa! Well, same thing. It turns out to be the same thing. We suspect he may be the man who calls himself El Gato. <laughs> I like the man who calls himself El Gato, really takes the, uh... <laughs> the power out of it. Yeah, like... <laughs> Alright, that's what you call yourself, Luis. Bess asks what we're all asking. How in the world did he manage to track the girls to the fort? George answered, a slippery character like that probably has a way of finding out everything he wants to know. And now we need no further explanation. How nice. Well, it wouldn't surprise me, says George, if Yosa shows up at Machu Picchu. Oh, Bess says, say no more. I'm not going to Machu Picchu. He might try to harm us. Book that. Maponi has to persuade Miss Marvin. Machu Picchu is worth visiting. You gotta see it. Also, the police will be looking for El Gato, just like they have been for who knows how many years. I mean, best they've been looking for El Gato for six years. They gotta find him any second now. <laughs> now Nancy's involved. Yeah. Best looked relieved. Good. And I hope they catch him. All right, I'll go. Maponi is truly a, a master of manipulation. Here's another American tourist moment. They admire the children of the village. Best says they're adorable children and they look happy, but certainly poor. Yes, Nancy agreed. Don't you long to do something for them? Anyway, bye. <laughs> at least they don't take pictures with them. Later at lunch, George reminds her cousin to eat light. Bess always made a little face at George in return for such a reprimand. I have to keep up my strength to climb, Bess defended herself. They are eating huge kerneled corn on the cob, served with a large slice of Swiss cheese. Bess asks Maponi, do we put this cheese on the corn or eat it separately? Eat it any way you like, he replied. <laughs> but just as she's about to eat it, she cries out, George, look out, that beast behind you is going to bite. George jumped up and dashed away from the open window, and Maponi began to laugh. Your beast is really very friendly, he said. It is an alpaca, a grass-eating animal, and gentle. Alpaca. So Maponi shows them how they can feed him lettuce. We get a whole conversation on alpaca wool is good. Llama wool is kind of good. Oh, I bet the ancient Incans loved that wool. Oh, I bet the ancient Incans thought that wool was scratchy, you know. When the girls stopped feeding him, their reproof was an indignant, Nah! Nah! That, and that's written out phonetically. Lazily, the alpaca walked off, its sheep-like head held disdainfully. 
Oh, girls, his family, Carla exclaimed as he joins a female and two baby alpacas. Aren't they darling, said Bess. I must take some pictures of them later. This is going to be an awesome photo album. (laughs) She's going to be all the animals of Peru. People on animals, yeah. After, so later they do take some pictures of the alpacas. After taking a couple of pictures, Bess handed the camera to Nancy. Please snap a picture of me seated on the alpaca, she said. And don't let anybody slap him so he'll run away. Well, she didn't need to worry about that. Because instantly, the alpaca bent its knees and sat down in the roadway. Just crumbled under Bess's weight. Oh, you mean old thing, Bess scolded. She slapped the animal gently. Stand up. When the alpaca did not obey, Nancy laughingly snapped the picture anyway. (laughs) That's another good profile pic. The pony finally walks forward and with a chuckle says, what could be interpreted as one of the worst weight-shaming lines we've read yet. Mm -hmm. Miss Marvin, you must weigh more than a hundred pounds. That is the limit of a burden an alpaca will carry. He cannot be coaxed. You may as well get off. More than a hundred pounds, you fat lard. (laughs) Yeah, if you read it as a comment on her weight, it's awful. Out of context, Carl read me this quote before I read the book. I was dismayed. But in context... Basically, no one can ride a llama. Yeah, he's just trying to tell her, don't ride alpacas. Yeah, but the Um, way it's said is certainly like, sorry, hon, you're too fat for that alpaca. She grinned, but did not reveal her weight. (laughs) I'll never tell. Maybe under 100 pounds, maybe. She got off the animal and instantly changed the subject. I'm ready to go take pictures of the runes. So they go and admire Machu Picchu. They're getting a tour. Nancy kind of takes a side route. As she's contemplating the gorgeous view, Nancy became aware of a thudding sound behind her. A huge bundle of thatch rolls at her at fast speed. Now, previously they'd commented about how this was basically the side of a mountain. You could fall off and fall a long way. But just before it reached her, Nancy gave a mighty leap and hurdled the bundle. Like, literally goes over this bundle. Donkey Kong barrel style. (laughs) As she stood trembling, Nancy heard a man's voice and looked off to one side. She sees a workman clearly upset at the man who threw some of his thatch at Nancy. However, there's a language barrier. So she's like, where'd he go? And he's like... (laughs) Nancy had a long hunt before she was able to locate the others. Immediately, Bess hugged her friend. Nancy, we've been looking for you because we wanted to go after that dreadful Louis. Yosa, what do you mean? We saw him among the ruins, said Carla. We saw him. If he's here, we'll find him, George vowed. So they decide to separate and track him down. First, Nancy turns to Mama Pony and says, Can you just go talk to that guy I couldn't talk to? Maybe he has a description of who threw thatch at me. He agrees. Bess is going around everywhere asking if people have seen someone called Louis Yosa who looks like Louis Yosa. You seen the cat? You seen the cat? Bess encounters... A really creepy young man. Oh my gosh, so this is the, this is, yeah. He stopped climbing, but if, instead of answering her questions, he motioned for her to sit on the steps with him. Thank you, I will stand, Bess replied. Good for her. You are a pretty American girl, you would like a date? I like you, we make date maybe? The broken English, I'm like, mm. 
in her own mind, Bess decided that he was the last person in the world with whom she wanted to make a date. Why? Perfectly nice young gentleman. She did not answer, but repeated her question. The young man began to laugh. You forget about that one. Tonight we make dates. Bess was furious. She turned away and began to climb the steps. The Peruvian laughed. Oh, you afraid of me? You are American girl. They say is choosy. I certainly am, Bess said with dignity and hurried up the steps with the speed of a frightened alpaca. Her admirer did not try to follow. I By like, the time Bess reached the top step, she was winded and had to sit down. I like with dignity paired <laughs> with Mm-hmm. ran with the speed of a frightened alpaca. Yeah, yep. very dignified. It's at this point that she berates herself for eating so much corn and cheese. <laughs> oh no, what have I done? Then she thinks wistfully, why couldn't he have been one of the nice young Peruvian men? Like the ones Carla introduced us to. Bess remained quiet, even after she had stopped gasping. She could vaguely hear two men talking somewhere near her. Crime. Crime. One man who sounded like Louis Llosa said, You tell Nancy Drew she is a nuisance in Peru. She must go home at once. Go tell her. Should she let the man know she had heard him and demand an explanation? Mm-hmm. Absolutely should. not. Should do that Absolutely best. Yeah, not. Do it best. Do it best. But he might harm me, was her second thought. He and will. Then I couldn't warn Nancy. No, you wouldn't be able to. Nevertheless, Bess decided to be courageous. She ran up and down a few of the ancient alleyways, but could not find Louis Yosa. I must alert Nancy, she thought. I'll bet they don't want Nancy to keep the plaque for fear she'll solve its mystery before they can. I'd better hurry back and stop Yosa from getting it. So on a huge leap of logic, Bess decides they're on the way to the hotel to get the plaque, even though that was not mentioned in the conversation at all. And even though they've already copied the plaque, so they don't need it personally. They would only be taking it to keep Nancy from knowing about it. Nancy, who I guess hasn't copied it yet, even though that would have been a smart thing to do, seeing as everyone wants to steal it. I feel like she has a modeling clay version of it. Yeah, she did. She did, didn't she? back in Lima. But Bess was right. Absolutely right. Gets back to the hotel in the nick of time. Locks the doors. That the plaque is still there. And when what comes sliding in through the door? But a nail file. I think it's not a nail file. I think it's a woodworking file, dear. Because it's one of the stolen woodworking implements from Velez's workshop. Okay. So, (laughs) I'm processing right now that a nail file and a woodworking file are not the same thing. I thought a woodworking file was just a nail file made of metal. The point is... (laughs) Bess's mouth was dry with fright. In another moment, that intruder will get in, she thought wildly, and there's no telephone in this room. How are you going to call for oxygen then? A sudden idea came to her. How about just grabbing the file? That was, and that's ballsy because Uh that could hurt, right? Like if it's moving fast. She gave it a hard yank and the whole tool came came through through the crack. Wow, that is not a well-fitted door. Instantly, she heard angry mutterings in the hall. Someone kicked the door and then ran down the hall. She flopped onto the bed, still clutching the file. I wonder if he knows that it was grabbed or if he just thinks he was filing too hard and he lost hold of it. 
Meanwhile, George encountered a broad-shouldered woman with a deep, husky voice. Oh, this is great. How dare she be so masculine? Mm -hmm. I don't know what girls are coming to these days, always chasing a man. Is this one you're after somebody who wants to get away from you? This woman is upset that George is looking for any man at all. Oh no, George said quickly. It's nothing like that. The woman interrupted her. That's what all girls say, but I know better. You're after him, and you're determined to find him. You're all little hussies. George smiled. You're right, but my interest in finding him is because he's a thief. The woman's eyes bulged. A thief? Well, why didn't you say so in the first place? George felt like telling her she had no opportunity, but repeated her original question. Yeah, why wasn't the first thing you said an explanation for yourself? Yeah, we're looking for a thief. He looked like this. The woman did see the thief, and she points in the direction of their hotel. She calls out an apology as George runs away. That's my favorite. Sorry, I said that. Bess, seeing George, says, I'm so glad to see you. Something dreadful happened. George is amazed at Bess's bravery. Well, eventually they notice that Nancy's not with them. And that that might be a problem. Did they go back and kidnap her? (laughs) However, there's a small problem. There's a downpour outside. Right, it has started raining cats and dogs. Luckily, when they do see Nancy, she's sitting in a little shelter. My pony also did talk to that workman, and it was very much Louis Yosa who tossed thatch at Nancy. (gasps) By the way, where is Nancy? Carla inquired. So rain or no rain, they set out to find Nancy. Bess is on the verge of tears, but George reminds her that Nancy has a knack of getting out of tight spots, which Bess concedes to. And sure enough, the shelter is four poles that had been erected and a poncho stretched across the top of them. And Nancy's just sitting there in the grass with this, uh, with this old man who's speaking Keishwan. She's just writing down phonetically what he's saying so she can later figure out what it is. George called out in a loud voice, Nancy! Oh, I'm getting some wonderful clues, says Nancy, completely unaware that she's worried everybody. So Nancy said the name of this ancestor of Carla's, and that's what started him talking. He's like, oh, something something Aguilar, something something Aguilar, something, you don't speak this language, Aguilar. So when Nancy says, I'm getting wonderful clues, what she means is, I assume this is something helpful. And I sure hope that writing phonetically the sounds he's making will lead to something good. And what what's the best part about this for me is she spent all this time writing down this old man's words based on what they sound like. And then their I mean their guide is who's with them is like, oh, I'll just talk to him. He's yeah. we're both right here. Now, each time we hear this story throughout the book, we hear a little bit more detail. Mm. So first we just know it's a Spanish ancestor. He was imprisoned and escaped. Mm -hmm. Then we know Monpony's version that he doesn't know why, but he was imprisoned and then he escaped. Now, this is the longest version of all. He had been well respected within the community and considered a god, not just because he was a white man but because he was such a good artist that he was godlike. But here's the thing about white privilege is, yes, he was such a good artist that he was godlike, 
But how good of an artist would you have to be if you weren't white to be godlike? The way politics works is this man eventually is a problem. Because sure. he's holding so much sway and somebody decides to imprison him. You can't have God around forever. Aguilar was very clever and did not remain a prisoner for long. In fact, the man they're talking to, Pancitimba's ancestor, was the servant that escaped with him. No one's ever saw them again. Wow. Ever? Mm-hmm. I'm sure they saw each other. Just then, the man's shelter goes blowing off the side of the mountain. Luckily, as a joint effort, all the girls manage to save the various parts of his shelter. Running around in the rain. Carlos, seeing Nancy soaked to the bone, says, We must go right back to the hotel so you can change your clothes. She smiled mischievously. You have a habit of getting all wet on my account. <laughs> Whoa, Carla! This is the best Nancy Drew innuendo yet. I mean, yeah, it's the mischievous part, the smile, it all comes together, baby. Best suggested bringing Pansatimba back to the hotel so he can dry off. He declines this invitation, but when Nancy says, Hey, I want you to try to decipher Aguilar's plaque... He says, oh, that's different. I'll come along. I guess I get the feeling from this old man that he is this type of person who has given up his earthly uh, bonds and possessions. He's above the need for that. So even being repaid kindness for kindness, he doesn't need it. He doesn't want it. So if you have a job for him to do, he'll come into your hotel. But if it's just to be nice to him, no dice. So without even a magnifying glass... (laughs) He is able to read the plaque. The final word, Carla cried out, is China. What does it mean? Nancy said quickly. Carla said that in Spanish it stood for many things. Chinese, China, porcelain. It even means pebbles. Pebbles, Nancy repeated. Perhaps we should look for a mesa of pebbles. With a monkey's tail on it, George added, grinning. (laughs) The others laughed. Then there was a prolonged silence. <laughs> Suddenly, Pantasimba solves the mystery for Nancy. Oh, good. He mentions that the Nazcan lines sound similar. They are about 200 miles south of Lima, in a desert. Made of pebbles. A pebbly mesa, 1,200 feet above sea level, and 50 miles from the ocean. In ancient times, and no one knows how long ago... People there scratched giant figures into the earth. Named for the Nazcan people whose pottery was found nearby, they are lines like on your plaque and figures of many things, including... Monkeys! Nancy was so excited she felt as if her heart had suddenly stopped beating. That's it, she exclaimed. Oh, this is simply marvelous. How can we ever thank Pansatimba for giving us this clue? Nancy does love monkeys. He wanted them to know he was a very religious and philosophical man who never took earthly rewards for helping people. Bess's eyes suddenly became dewy, and she murmured, It is a privilege to meet such a person. When this was translated to Pansatimba, he looked embarrassed and turned to leave. Ah, go on. Nancy finally asks, How the heck did he read that without a magnifying glass? Mm. Well, you see says Maponi. 
Many Incan Indians in these mountains have inherited amazing sight. Superpowers! The girls were astounded to hear this, and George said, I'd like a demonstration. Hey, hey buddy, don't go yet. I want to see what you can see. He can see a condor that nobody else can see in the distance. Nobody else can see it until it starts flying. Mm -hmm. That's fantastic, Bess burst out. Oh, what I wouldn't give to have sight like that. Nancy says goodbye to him in the Quechuan language, and he is very grateful, as you should be when Americans learn even the most simple <laughs> phrases in your language. I think there's a Dr. Seuss book about, like, three animals bragging about how far they can see. Mm, maybe. So one of them's like, I can see the back of my own head around the whole earth. <laughs> During the ride back to Lima, first by train to Cusco, then by plane, they felt it best not to talk about the mystery in public. <laughs> first thing Nancy wants to do is go give Velez his file back and ask whether Yosa has been back. Mm -hmm. It is his file, but Yosa has never been back. Nancy suggests that maybe even more stuff was stolen from him, and sure enough, all of his drawings were stolen. <laughs> Did you check inside? Oh, my furniture, too! <laughs> sharp eyes had detected an unusual back panel in the drawers of one of the benches. She asked the shop owner if he would mind if she investigated it. He says, honestly, rip open whatever you want. She finds several letters addressed to Louis Yosa, <gasps> evidently at his home in Lima. <gasps> they are to <gasps> Harry Wallace in River Heights. Hey, that's our guy. The salutation in everyone is Dear Elgato. <laughs> also... But that's Dear the Cat? Nancy asks Velez, Did you know Luis Yosa's nickname was Elgato? Obviously not. I hired him. I wouldn't have hired a man if I'd known that. <laughs> well, he's on the police's wanted list. I would have been fine with the wanted list more than him calling himself the cat. <laughs> While Velez goes to call the police, Nancy notices that another drawer has a bottom that is thicker than the others. This thing's just lousy with extra space. Underneath, she finds a matching salad fork and spoon made out of wood. Wait, Ar wait, <laughs> slow down. What kind of wood? Arrayanes wood. Illegal wood. Peering inside, the girls could see a quantity of fine white powder. To clarify, inside of the fork? Yeah. Nancy unscrews one of the handles off of, presumably, the fork or spoon. And it's full of white powder? Nancy held up the spoon handle and showed it to the officers. I believe Elgato is a smuggler, she said. That's right, the officers are already there. Yeah, sniff this. One of the officers took it and smelled it. I'm not sure what this is, he says. I will take it to the lab for analysis. I am immediately suspicious of that cop. Smells like cocaine. He had barely finished speaking when George happened to see Yosa spying on them from the window. There's the guy. He throws a bomb into the workroom. Oh my god, this picture too. It's like a cartoon bomb. Oh yeah. With a fuse. Again, it is George that tells everybody to get down. Nancy deduces he was probably trying to bomb the evidence and maybe injure them. Fortunately, the homemade bomb had not been a powerful one, and its victims in the workroom had suffered only minor cuts and bruises. 
Bess, however, was on the verge of hysterics. Nancy, that bomb was aimed right in your direction. Bess hates bombs. You might have been killed. Nancy was pretty sober herself. Senor Villas sprinkles a small quantity onto the palm of his hand, raises it to his mouth, and sticks out his tongue to test it. Mm-hmm. Oh, please don't do that, Nancy advised hurriedly. This powder may be poison. So what is this? <laughs> and Nancy's like, no, senor, that could be poison. <laughs> oh, okay. Villas says that the address on the envelopes is not the one he gave him when he was employed. Probably, says Nancy, he doesn't stay anywhere very long. He doesn't want the police to catch up with him. We will get him, though, senorita, said one of the officers, taking all of the evidence with him. (sighs) This is exactly the kind of book where we really just sped past the fact that everyone had just been bombed, Mm -hmm. and it's fine. Back at the Ponce's. (laughs) Senora Ponce suggests that they all go on a secret trip to get away from this danger. Yeah, maybe go somewhere where no one's throwing bombs at you. Instantly, Nancy told of her desire to visit the Naskin lines. Carla's father thinks that's a very good idea. It would be far safer for you girls to disappear for a while. I will arrange a camping trip to the desert. After all, his company owned a large helicopter. He was sure he could make arrangements to borrow it for the trip. Jeez, he's doing well. Nancy receives three letters, one from her father, another from Hannah, and one from Ned Nickerson. In it, the young man asked how she was getting along with her bobtailed monkey. Nancy laughed at the quip, then suddenly (laughs) snapped her fingers. Of course, why didn't I think of it before? The spiraling lines on the other side of the plaque were meant to be the monkey's tail. Tails on the butt! (laughs) The tip of the tail was at the center of the plaque and right in the middle of the crossword cipher. I'm sure that means it's the most important part of the mystery, she decided. That's where we should make our camp in the Naskin Desert and start our dig. But first, we must find the right monkey. Their pilot is going to be Ernesto Monge and his co-pilot, Canejo. There will also be with them Rico, the camp cook. Sure. Yeah, let's get a cook with us. Oh, this sounds so exciting, Bess remarked. George could not resist teasing her cousin. You mean the trip or the young men? Bess wrinkled her nose at George and disdained to answer. But she's like twinkling and winking at them all. The others laughed, yes. They hear back from the police that that powder inside of the spoon... <gasps> was it drugs? It was quinine! It was drug. Well, quinine. So it's, there's a convoluted story, because we can't say it's cocaine, that it was quinine. And while shipping quinine is not illegal, a doctor was illegally selling it to people as part of his drugs without telling them... By the way, which quinine's like anti-malarial. Like, it's like nothing. <laughs> People used to take it for leg cramps. (laughs) And then, of course, they were also selling the smuggled Arayanes wood pieces. Sure. Everyone wants a big wood salad fork full of, that's hollow and has a screw-off bottom. What a neat racket, George exclaimed. Wow. (laughs) Dino. I don't 
see why he went to the trouble of getting Arayani's wood, George remarked. He could have used something easy to buy. We'll have to find out about that later, Nancy replied, which they never really do. Well, I think it was stated that the Arayanya wood was easy to notice. Like, oh, yeah, he could tell it apart. That's right. Yeah, like his, the, his guy in America was like, all right. Which of these spoons is a big hollow spoon? Mm. It's the different one. It doesn't seem like a good reason to add danger to your operation by smuggling wood. And... Let me one-up you. It seems like a bad reason. And additionally, I don't think they needed a reason. That wood is rare, so therefore they can sell it. Yeah. I don't know why they asked what the reason was. I have to assume more money was coming in through the wood than the quinine. Also, Harry Wallace is back in jail. He had been out on bail. Oh, good, 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 good. The chemist is also in jail now. Good. One at a time. Bus burst out. Now that his pals have been caught, maybe he'll get scared and run away. Then he won't bother us anymore. Maybe. George scoffed. Don't be silly. He'll be madder than ever and keep after us. He's gonna kill you. Nancy was inclined to agree with George. There will be one other passenger on the plane. He's a government official, an archaeologist, Dr. Benavides. Hi. All of the men on this plane are handsome with charming manners, and they all speak English. Bess's favorite type of man. Nancy and George noted how Bess's eyes sparkled, and they winked at each other. Nancy thought affectionately. For Bess, the expedition is a success, even before it started. I ju- just now when you read that, I got that it was George and Nancy winking at each other. <laughs> you thought Bess was going around winking <laughs> to flirt? I did. <laughs> I thought she was winking at each of the guys. Wink, wink, wink. Well, the doctor is talking about the various theories as to why the Naskin lines exist. I've heard some crazy things, like that people attribute it to UFOs or advanced technology. Like, they would have had to fly up high to be able to see these lines. And that's just some bullshit. I just wish someone would definitively come up with the answer. Well, Nancy has a theory. Oh, good! Remember that guy we met who can see things? I forgot. These people have superpowers. <laughs> they could easily see the giant figures from far away and enjoy doing their artwork on a grand scale. Far away? <gasps> because far make things small. The archaeologist looked at Nancy with interest. That is a very sensible theory, he said, and one I have not heard anybody express. No one had <laughs> thought of distance before. <laughs> Or people just doing art because they liked it. (laughs) Decorative? Bess gave a shriek of delight. Look, she cried out. There's our monkey with the spiral tail. The reason they took a helicopter is they can land it anywhere, including right on the monkey. It's exactly like the one on the plaque. Couldn't be more clear. Nancy was thrilled. I love that Nancy's like, okay, so the tip of the tail, that's the spot. That's the hot spot. And the archaeologist is like, yeah... Yeah, maybe. (laughs) What if it's the base of the tail? Because that's where tail touch butt. And therefore, it's the most important part of the tail. And Nancy's just like, fine. At first, they think the important thing is that it's a broken tail. And then that makes sense. But at this point, 
Yeah, they're setting up Nancy to just look like the hero in the end. You know yeah. this is fruitless. It's just a little bit of an extension of time so that the villain can arrive. Near the monkey is a giant cat. Now, Hope, mm-hmm. I can't imagine that that's applicable. <laughs> well, George cried out that the cat reminds her of Louis Yosa. Ernesto looked back for a moment. Did you say Louis Yosa? He apparently went to flying school with Louis Yosa. This is what I call Chekhov's last minute gun. Mm-hmm. Because in the same chapter that this will matter, the guy's like, oh yeah, Elgato, he was a terrific parachutist. I knew him as a parachuting man who parachutes. And a troublemaker. <laughs> And so, like, this information coming up in the last chapter tells me that maybe once we've landed on the monkey's butt and are digging up his tail and people start parachuting in, I wonder who that could be. Could it be parachutist Elgato? The base of the tail ends up not to be the stupidest place to dig. Right. It's a grave. Yeah. Carlo digs up a mummy. The mummy, we believe, of, uh, what's his face? Well, it's somebody white. Yeah, the white guy. A Spanish explorer. Do you suppose it could be Aguilar? Well, there's a paper inside one of his pockets. Dr. Benavides says they should probably wait to read it, but he'll make an exception. He uses forceps. He delicately, as, as everybody watches him with admiration, opens this letter. It's a recipe for empanadas. <laughs> it's an honorable discharge from the army for Renato Aguilar. Everyone looked at the mummy with reference, which is more than they did for the mummy two books ago. Yeah, wow. It's a beautiful thing. Let's put him back in the ground, guys. Yeah, they reinter it, but they do say that probably they'll have someone else dig it up for the museum later. Yeah. They're just using the earth as a big Tupperware right now. So, at that moment, who should fall from the sky but a battalion of, apparently, police officers? What does he want, George asked. (laughs) I am sorry to disturb you, but in the name of the Peruvian government, you are under arrest. Get into the copter, and my men will take you back to Lima. Now, does it not make sense that people digging up a national treasure would be arrested? No, it does make sense. (laughs) But wait a minute. We've got the permits, says the archaeologist. We asked the government if we could dig this monkey. The permission has been cancelled, the bearded shootist said. Now do not make any trouble. Leave everything here and get in the copter. George, I think we need some judo done. Nancy had been watching the beady eyes of the leader and strongly suspected that he might be Louis Yosa in disguise. She notices like one bead of sweat and there's like an ah-ha-ha. She whispers her suspicion to the pilots. They lunge forward and seize the intruder. Nancy's been doing a lot of whispering in this book. Now, said Ernesto, we'll see if you have a cat tattoo on your arm. Oh, that's the other thing Ernesto No, don't even about. don't even bring it up. You know, I like the idea that this never came up before. They <laughs> <laughs> just said that. And maybe the hair and beard will come off, added Conejo, reaching towards the whiskers. And maybe this is a fake hand. Leave that man alone, barked one of the suspect's companions as they closed in belligerently. Their leader jerked free and swung a blow at Ernesto. Instantly, the other shootists leaped on the pilots and Rico. Now, I don't know how many parachutists there are, but... In my head, 16. (laughs) Somehow, 
this small group ends up ahead, right? Yep. yep. Uh, a heavy set man picks Nancy up and goes to the helicopter. He rolls around and says, you will do what I say or, or I will take this girl away as a hostage. Oh, Nancy, no, no, Bess shrieked. Don't let them take you away. They won't, Ernesto cried. The parachutists had not counted on the strength of the men in Nancy's group, nor George's knowledge of judo. Judo! <laughs> Ernesto saves Nancy, knocking out the fellow who had grabbed her. They managed to yank Louis Yosa's disguise clean off. Conveniently, one of his shirt sleeves is torn so they can see his cat tattoo. Cat tattoo. Yosa does try to run away, but Bess sticks George on him, yep. who immediately complies. She rushed up and used one of her judo holds on him. He went head over heels, and even Senora Ponce, startled as she was, had to smile. Now, in, in a moment that I can only describe as iconic, El Gato says, with his arms up, I give up. I, I just give up. And the best part is once he says that, he's like, I, I'm a criminal. I get you. You're right. Everyone's right. Please stop. Every single one of his compatriots is like, wait, we're not the police? <laughs> you told us that you were police and we were good guys helping you. Mm-hmm. We are not on your side now. Mm-hmm. We immediately turn sides. Luis Yosa's eyes blazed. Do not believe what she says, he shouted to the other shootists. But it's too late. Yeah, I feel like I feel like you turned yourself in, guy. <laughs> His so-called friends are backing away from him. He said he was a government official. He's nothing of the sort, George retorted. He's El Gato. <laughs> Which means nothing to no one. So he he it's clear that he believes he's going to get away. He's he's kind of like, okay, you know, you got me now, but I'll be, you know, I, I'm not going to stop until I get I, this treasure. I see I am cornered. I will tell my story and then leave. Yeah. 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 And Nancy's like, yeah, I mean, okay, that's what's going to happen. You tell your story and leave. Go call the cops. Yeah, she suppressed a smile. <laughs> that's what you think, she murmured to herself. Yeah. So, like... <laughs> just call the cops when he's like, I was born. And, you know, just like giving his whole spiel. Yeah, he gives the whole villain speech about everything he's done and all the bad stuff he, you know, made happen. There are very few surprises. There are no surprises. I mean, the thing is, he's a smuggler who uh, overheard Carla's parents talking about this this artifact at a restaurant. Yeah, at a restaurant. <laughs> and was like, artifact? Crossword? treasure because that's just what everyone does i guess the prisoner glared at nancy and said to be outwitted by a A girl girl even best tossed her head it's too bad you didn't find out at the start how clever nancy is you would have saved yourself a lot of trouble and best is getting to the heart of the matter why do any of these people try to convince nancy not to pursue them don't go to the trouble. Well, the police do show up and take Louis Yosa away, complete with confession. And we decide that we should dig where Nancy said, at the tip of the tail, and we strike treasure. And then they all fight about who should get to uncover it, and then who should get to remove the 
lid of the apparently golden box. Mm-hmm. And then they kind of all open the box together. It's a solid gold box, about 18 inches long, 8 inches wide, and 12 inches high. And it's full of gold. Best blinked hard. I'm so happy I could cry. Inside the box were several solid gold objects of Inca design. The largest one was of a monkey with a spiraling tail. This is a priceless collection, Dr. Benavides exclaimed excitedly. Nancy also noticed folded papers in the bottom of the box. May I take this out? She asked Senor Ponce. Indeed you may. Okay, so earlier in the book, somebody had joked with Nancy that she should solve the mystery of what had happened to the Machu Picchu civilization. Yes. Well, we can't have Nancy introduced to a mystery that she doesn't solve. Yep. So she does solve the, the, the she solves Machu Picchu. Yeah, because one of the papers is a drawing of Machu Picchu done by Aguilar, the way it looked before it was sacked. So now, for the first time in history, we know what Machu Picchu looked like. Literally in the drawing of a godlike artist. And look, George cried out, here is a portrait of the Inca ruler at the time, son of the sun god. Dr. Benavides was beside himself with delight. This is the most amazing and valuable find of the century, he said. And indeed it would be. Someone says, so who does this belong to? Carla or the Peruvian government? And someone is like, it doesn't matter. Carla's father said firmly, no matter whom they belong to, I think they should be shared with the world. Who cares? These drawings in particular should be kept in a fireproof museum. <laughs> I assure you, says Dr. Benavides, that is exactly what the government will want. You fool, put them in a waterproof museum. <laughs> I assure you, the government is on your side. <laughs> When the excitement died down, Nancy began to feel rather pensive. A feeling she always felt when a mystery was completely solved. Mm. She was hoping that another challenging case would come along soon. And it did. What? The spider sapphire mystery. Which I think is confusing because we've already had a spider mystery. We've had a spider mystery. I'm not a rat kidding around when I say I'm excited for it. Carla gives... Nancy a hug and says, you may have actually solved a 300-year-old mystery. Nancy blushes at the praise. The men shake her hand. The women hug her. I didn't do it alone, she said. A lot of credit goes to my very special friends. Not all of it. More special than Ned, who is always a special friend. <sighs> Bess smiled, then began to examine the drawing of Machu Picchu. A minute later, she put one finger on a certain spot. Nancy, she said, this is where you almost lost your life. Hey, look. George looked... It's your dead spot. George looked disapprovingly at her cousin. For Pete's sake, Bess, why can't you think of something cheerful? Hmm. Well, like, well, I can't think of anything cheerful in the world. Like, what, George? Like, like, every time I see a monkey with a spiraling tail, I'll think of Nancy and her mystery in Peru. That's not, not That's not ends. better than my thing. That's George, that's ends. not better than my thing. <laughs> That sucks, George. That's not that cheerful. <laughs> Thanks for listening, friends. Every time I see a wildcat with a spiraling tail, I think of you. Which is why I'm Carl. And I'm Hope. And we say, Go, Go Wild Gatos! Gatos!
might need to have a special episode about this video game sometime. I have a we have a ho- there's a host of video games we can um oh I don't know put them on our Patreon. Remember to support us at our Patreon. <laughs> you can email us at riverheightsradio at google.com or find our Patreon River Heights Radio. We'd really appreciate it. Instagram at River Heights Radio, Twitter at River Heights FM, River Heights Radio on Facebook, and River Heights Radio on YouTube. Uh, and give us a review or five stars on Apple Podcast or Spotify or Stitcher or wherever you're listening. Yeah, if you listen this far, I mean, why not? We actually put a lot of hours 